Grace to you and peace from the God who is our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our consideration this morning is the final verse of the epistle lesson from Romans chapter 6. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is God's Word. Dear baptized children of God, who do you think you are? I have to be a little bit careful with the tone of that question because maybe we, we hear it most often with an accusing tone. Just who do you think you are? We might hear that in response to an action that is clearly selfish or that shows us to be feeling rather entitled. The question can imply a judgment. Who do you really think you are? But I'm asking the question this morning more in the sense of what do you think about your identity? When you think about yourself, who do you think you are and ultimately How does God want us to think about ourselves? We're going to consider the answer that the Apostle Paul is pointing us to when in reference to what God has done for us in baptism, he says, in the same way, count or consider yourself. He points us to an answer that is not a matter of wishful thinking, of vain pretending. It's not something dependent upon the the power of positive thinking for us to transform ourselves. But he points us to something that has as much authority as the Father's declaration regarding Jesus. This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God has made such an authoritative declaration regarding you and his desire that you be part of his family forever. Those who view baptism as something we say to God, believer baptism, but who point again and again to God's sovereignty as the starting place of their theology, overlook something very important. It was Jesus to whom all authority in heaven and on earth belong who sent people out to baptize that those who baptize are speaking with his authority, the authority to decisively tell you who you are. How am I to think about myself? Maybe we very naturally kind of begin with things that have to do with the doctrine of creation, if you will. 
to want to be able to feel good about ourselves. Perhaps we say, you know, I'm, I'm tall or I'm smart, I'm artistic or I'm athletic or I'm, I'm funny. And these things are all good as far as they go, but then they, they run into something else. There is a voice that speaks very, very powerfully to us about who we are, and that is the voice of our, our history. That voice that reminds us of who we are because of what we've done. You are that person who is selfish. You are that person who so consistently cheats or is irresponsible, takes the easy way out. Maybe you're that person who doesn't mind hurting others with your words because it, it makes you feel better. And there are these things from our history that come back again and again, and they speak powerfully to say this is, this is who you are. And sometimes other people remind us of who we are as if to say, don't try to kid me. I know who you are. I know how you let me down in, in just this kind of situation. Our history tells us who we are, and it can exert a powerful control. And others can remind us of our, our history. Perhaps you could imagine the Apostle Paul running into somebody who hadn't seen him for years who greets him as Saul. You know, Saul, the man who gave approval to the death of Stephen. So that's one powerful voice that would identify us and by that also exert influence on what we do next. Another powerful voice is that of our feelings. I don't feel like being responsible. I don't feel today like being kind and considerate. Maybe I don't feel like doing my homework. Maybe I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like praying or I don't feel like getting involved in, in worship. And those feelings, too, well, that's me talking. And they exert control over what we do next. Perhaps the more spiritual those negative feelings are, the more powerful they are. Because if, if you don't feel like praying and if you don't feel like worshiping, wouldn't that be pretty much hypocritical? And so both our history and our feelings speak powerfully to tell us this is who you are, and by that they would direct our lives and exercise control. You face a familiar temptation, and that voice says to you, remember who you are. You know the shortcuts you take. And the feelings, they do the same thing. And we might, 
simply feel stuck. That's me. I have to acknowledge that's who I am. Well, consider this. Where does that negative history come from? And where do those negative feelings come from? They come from our fallen nature. They come from that place we're talking about when we say that we are poor, miserable sinners. And that would seem like it should be the, the end of the story or our final destination. Dead in sin and dead to God. Now, there's an identity that, that no one would want to steal. But what we celebrate this day is that there is another voice that speaks, and it speaks with the highest authority in heaven and on earth. The one who speaks is someone who has history too. But his history is the history of one who came into this world, who took on flesh and blood to be our substitute. to redeem us. Not just to take away our guilt, but to bring us into God's family who speaks along these lines. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. That voice that spoke with authority at Christ's baptism also speaks with authority about you, spoke in your baptism, and he hasn't changed his mind about it. You are part of my family because that's the way I want it to be. Baptism is, isn't something that we, we do. It is something that is done to us, that you were baptized. That's a, a passive verb not something we are capable of doing. In your baptism, you were buried with Christ. The death that you and I deserved has been died decisively. In grace, God put us into that grave not to leave us there, to bring us out, to live a life that is new, a life that is filled in the same way then, in view of what God has said to you and done to you in your baptism, consider yourself, count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So baptism has given you a new identity. All of us who were baptized into Christ were buried with Christ. That's salvation history. The great church father, referred to as St. Augustine, apparently had lived a rather wild life growing up and subject of constant prayers by his mother. The story is told that after he had come to faith, he was walking along the street one day and happened to pass a, a woman of the street, if you will, who called out to him, Hey, Augie. And he kept going without acknowledging her. She said, Hey, it's me. 
And his response was, yes, but it's not me. He had a new identity in Christ, and he would seek to live that identity out. Baptism has given you a new identity. What grace is this, that you are not dead in sin but dead to sin and that you are alive to God in Christ. That is the real you. So when your history comes clamoring to take control over what you do next based on what you've stumbled into before, when your feelings stand in the way of you doing what the Lord wants you to do, you have not just the right but the responsibility to say, but that's not the real me talking. That's what Paul goes on to say in this sixth chapter of Romans. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. God has given you a beautiful, powerful gift, and he wants you to use it. There is, I think, a tendency within Christian circles to think that if a person gets too confident of God's forgiveness, that that is just going to be an invitation to, to live recklessly and irresponsibility. Well, actually, the Apostle Paul has addressed that already in his letter to the Romans. The thought is, let's keep people uncertain and they will live a better life. I've often compared this to what might happen if you've spent a day cleaning up the garage or the basement for a baptism gathering at your home. What happens when you clean the house? You get dirty. So let's say you've gotten some fresh new stains on your work clothes. And now you're going to sit down to a cheeseburger, ketchup and mustard. How careful are you going to be? How careful do you need to be eating like that kind of food with clothes that are stained? What's one more stain, right? As opposed to sitting down with the clothes you're going to wear to the celebration and the gathering, and now you're going to eat something. And those, clean, those clothes are clean and unstained. If Satan can tell you that boy, it, you've got that whole life of stains still kind of hanging around, then he can say, what's one more stain? What's one more sin on top of a lifetime of guilt? Baptism is something that is new every day. In your baptism, you have clean clothes to wear every day. 
to celebrate that by remembering who you are and answering the voices of history and of feelings and perhaps the complaints of others that would remind you that, or say to you that you're something else. Who are you? You are someone who is dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.